Hello, and welcome to another edition of Legalish. I'm Brian. I'm Sean. And today we're going to be talking about Elon Musk and from <laughs> Yeezus to Gitler. Uh-huh. uh-huh. We, got, we have some very entertaining topics today. Yeah, we're going to talk about Kanye West. We're going to talk about morality clauses. We're also going to talk about the consequences of having to go through with a deal you never wanted to be a part of because you signed on the dotted line. Yeah, I think first we'll take our victory lap, which isn't much of a victory lap because it was one of the most obvious things ever. Uh, but last episode, we talked about how Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter. Here we are in a world where Elon Musk owns Twitter. Yeah, so I, I think my major takeaway from that is that, like, that wasn't a very interesting legal argument. Like, usually, like, when there's, like, a huge, big legal fight, like, you know, you're going to the Supreme Court, you're going to make case Legal law. argument is generous. <laughs> legal argument was very generous, yeah. Like, I mean, I don't think that his attorneys did a bad job. They did an adequate job given the hand they were dealt. But I do think that Twitter's attorneys were like LeBron James in like, you know, game seven or whatever. Yeah, so you could say we read the tea leaves, and a lot of other people read the tea leaves, but it was more like looking at the bottom of your tea mug and seeing the leaves literally spelling out, Elon will own Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't a lot of uh, foresight in that. Yeah, I think that was also one of the other interesting parts was like, the market took so long to catch up with the fact that he was doomed. Like, if you are familiar at all with how the Delaware Court of Chancery works, and call it that, it's not the Delaware Chancery Court, um, you would know, like, this man's going to buy Twitter, and he's going to buy it for $54.20, and Twitter's not going to settle with him, because why would you settle with him when you have a winning hand? You know? And, and they didn't. I have a royal flush, and Musk is like, well, you should fold, because I have a straight. Or garbage, really. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah, I got a 7-3 out of suit. <laughs> yeah, 7-3 out of suit versus your royal flush. You should quit now. It's like, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to take your money because you're all in. <laughs> yeah, and then they did. And now Musk is mad and he's doing what he normally does when he's mad. He's tweeting his way through it. And uh, it started with pitching $40 to verify your blue check marks. And he was counteroffered by Stephen King at, I don't know... 28 bucks? Well, Stephen King said, I don't want to pay for that shit. Yeah. It, there was a weird back and forth between a mega billionaire and a 500 millionaire over about 12 bucks a month, and it was a very interesting uh, little exchange. He's also still tweeting... He's salty. Uh, he's also still tweeting about how, like, stuff wasn't disclosed in litigation. Like, he's gonna, like, appeal this all of a sudden. Like, nah, man. Like, you closed on the deal, you went all the way up to the trial court, mm -hmm. you chickened out, you waved the white flag... I, this, this, this is over, over. Oh yeah, it's totally over. And so now we get to hear all of Elon Musk's beautiful ideas for how to improve the platform in real time as he develops them in typical Elon fashion. Um, and uh, it's really an argument now over the blue checkmark verification. And it seems to be that Elon Musk maybe misunderstands completely what the purpose of the blue checkmarks is. And... As I understand it, blue check marks are really there to ensure that you are reading something from the person who is who they purport to be. So if you're reading something from Maggie Hamerman, you know you're getting something from the New York Times reporter. Um, it's not just some signal of prestige. It's not just some way of being better than other Twitter users. It's literally so that you know the content that you're reading comes from a particular source. Um, and Elon Musk is now saying, well, people should probably pay for that. But that's not really... You know, if everybody's paying for it, unless there is also some sort of um, identity verification that goes along with that, 
what's the point? I mean, we're really diluting the purpose of the blue check mark in the first place. Correct. The, the blue check mark is a trust and safety feature. And I want to distinguish because trust, trust and safety gets like, I mean, there's like kind of a lot of overlap with, uh, with, uh, with content moderation, um, which is something that Musk is looking to redefine on Twitter as well, like kind of trying to speed run figuring that out. Um, so Sean and I actually do a lot of content moderation on Reddit because we moderate a lot of legal communities. Um, and if you are a fullest extent of the free speech kind of platform, which Reddit briefly experimented with, and then it went very poorly when they became the home of lots of jailbait. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if, do you remember that? I do, yeah. They had to actually go through and like, okay, we, add, we need to ban some stuff because what's going on here is deeply questionable. It was gross. It's the kind of thing that an advertiser would never want their, their, their trademark next to. Yeah. You know. Yeah, f uh, communities don't flourish when you let people say literally anything they want, um, which is why when we moderate the Reddit uh, communities we're involved in, we, we do a lot of banning, we do a lot of muting, uh, we do a lot of removing threads, because people say terrible things, and you have to get rid of them. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's almost like the person that like is in their car on the freeway like, they are going to say the most outrageous, like, violent stuff to drivers around them because there's, like, not a personal connection there. Um, but, I mean, if you bumped into somebody at the bank like that, you'd be like, oh, I'm really sorry. That's, that's my fault. Like, you know, it's okay. Hey, whatever. But, you know, instead it's like, I'll kill you. I'll kill your mom. I'll kill the moderators. I'll, you know, all this stuff. You know, you, you're just going to remove that stuff. Um, and if you're a brand that's trying to advertise on one of these platforms, be it Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, whatever... Uh, you do not want, well, we'll just take Nike for an example. You do not want just do it next to a guy saying race war now. Uh, so <laughs> Kill the Jews, buy my shoes. Right? <laughs> the, not great. The Kanye West, jeez, <laughs> Sean. <laughs> I mean, that's what he went for. And not only that, I mean, after Adidas, we were getting ahead of ourselves, but after Adidas drops and he rocks, walks into Skechers and says, hello, Skechers, would you like to sell my shoes? Um... Of course not. There's a man uh, with the last name of Greenberg runs Skechers, if I recall. So that yeah, didn't go over. Famously run by a Jewish family. Yeah, no, so. it didn't go over. It didn't go over. He was removed from the building by security. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, so content moderation, trust and safety stuff. Uh, Twitter is going to suddenly try and reinvent the wheel. Like, I mean, they're going to basically take all of their institutional knowledge, scrap it, and then try and reinvent with new rules and like new committees and kind of new everything. And honestly, that, that's, a, that's a fair approach if you want to take it that way. Um, but I, I think that it's kind of a, wasting a lot of time, energy on money on something that you've already evolved from. So because a lot of these platforms, when they took off, the only idea was like, how do we get people to click stuff? Like, that's it. That, that was the long and the short of it. Like, we want a lot of people here with a lot of eyeballs, and we want them to click on things. So we took, like, the greatest generation of engineers from, like, 2003 to, like, basically a couple of years ago, and took them at their prime and said, how do you get people to click shit on the internet? And so that's where, like, Twitter and Reddit and Facebook and these companies come from, is, like, at that very basic, like, level. And this idea that content moderation, free speech... Uh, these concepts of like, what do you do with unruly communities, uh, people that don't like each other, people that want to harass women or Jewish people or black people, uh, like, what do you do with those people? And I mean, they never thought about it until like a few years ago. And uh -huh. my answer is the platform is what you make it. You kick that shit out. 
Yeah, Reddit experimented with this with the Donald, which metastasized into a completely ugly forum for people who were ostensibly in support of Donald Trump, and it evolved really fast into um, a kind of hate speech mecca um, that Reddit was way too slow to react to, um, and something that they kind of allowed the memification of Donald Trump on their own platform, which became a meeting place for all of these people, and Eventually, they'd had to quarantine that forum, and all the users left and started their own website where they have far fewer, far less engagement. Um, so it's kind of a case study in, yeah, if you don't give them a place to congregate, they have a lot harder time congregating. That's true. Deplatforming does work, statistically. Um, and, I mean, they've moved over to a place that I won't, won't even mention the name because I don't really want to spread it, but I go there and check, check it periodically to see what they're doing. Um, <clears throat> But it's basically just like a white ethno state forum that Donald Trump is kind of like he's on all of their slogans and backgrounds and all this other stuff. Um, but it's really focused on like the white ethno state stuff. We did nothing wrong storming the Capitol, um, you know, the violent left and like montages of black people being violent, um, trying to basically, you know, be as horrendous, as, horrendous and divisive as possible to say, like, you know, your racist tribe is here and we're going to go to war with everybody else. Um, so th they're not users that you want on a website and they're definitely not conducive to advertisers. So, you know, the, 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 the amusing part about Twitter, uh, like trying to scrap all its content moderation is that a lot of that content moderation is, you know, reflecting the marketplace of ideas. Um, certain ideas are profitable and some are not. Um, so <laughs> we're yeah. going to, we're going to bring back the ones that are not because Elon Musk isn't sure if they really are, aren't profitable. And uh, speaking of profitable, I think it's uh, worth noting that Parag Agrawal is the tech CEO goat um, who in 2021 strikes up this deal with Elon after, I guess, needling his ego just the right way, where he now gets to sell Twitter in 2022 for 2021 prices at, what, $54.20 a share when the company's maybe worth $20 a share. And he goes out on top, he makes a crap ton of money, and not only that, gets fired and ha is now going to get his payout because he was fired without cause. Well, we'll see how that all goes. Of course, there's going to be lawsuits. Um, but anyway, uh, the real winner here, of course, is Twitter and Parag, who needled an egomaniacal billionaire into buying a platform for maybe double what it's worth. Yeah, Parag, I think, is the greatest tech CEO just for that reason. <laughs> he brought more money for shareholders than like anybody in, like, in a, a world year. where Meta is eating it. <laughs> yeah, Meta's on fire. All these other tech companies are on fire, but he sold Twitter for 5420 in 2022 at $44 billion. I'm going to go ahead and read like the last cuz we saw this in Discovery and it's kind of amusing. Um, this is the last communication before Elon made his offer and Parag accept. I believe this is the last one. So this is Parag you are free to tweet, quote, is Twitter dying, end quote, or anything else about Twitter, but it's my responsibility to tell you that it's not helping me make Twitter better in the current context. Next time we speak, I'd like you to provide your perspective on the level of internal distraction right now and how it's hurting our ability to do work. I hope the AMA, ask me anything, will help people get to know you, to understand why you believe in Twitter and to trust you. And I'd like the company to get to a place where we are more resilient and don't get distracted, but we aren't there right now. And Elon responds, what did you get done this week? I'm not joining the board. This is a waste of time. We'll make an offer to take Twitter private. 
So all Parag had to do was tell him not to be a weenie on the internet. And Elon Musk responded with, yeah, well, here's $44 billion. Honestly, it is terrifying to me that this man is in charge of so much uh, travel to and from the International Space Station. Uh, if, you know, left to my own devices, I would say nationalize SpaceX, take that shit out of his hands. But um, maybe the solution is actually to make massive investments in NASA and stop giving out huge, uh, uh, cutting huge checks to private industry when you have egomaniacs that are in charge that can pull the plug at any time or do something stupid like this. Yeah, I think that's the other part of discovery that was interesting to me about this is that, you know, previously kind of thinking about Elon Musk and SpaceX and uh, Tesla, you kind of think of a dude that's like very in tune with engineers and engineering and like accomplishing these huge things. But I think that what he was actually good at was getting money from point A to point B and then taking as much of it for himself. I'm thankful that he was interested in electric vehicles and space travel, but... I do agree that I think that that money is probably from a national security standpoint better spent on national projects because it's mostly taxpayer money anyway. So anyway, we should, on the topic of content moderation, uh, we should probably move on to Kanye West because usually I would say that this is like not something that we would talk about on legal-ish because it's just a celebrity like beef in it. But he did literally beg to be moderated and Adidas moderated him. Yes. <laughs> He said, okay, Kanye says, the thing about it being Adidas, I can say anti-Semitic shit and Adidas can't drop me. Now what? Now what? And then Adidas, of course, like the next day dropped him. Yeah, this was after he had already said some anti-Semitic shit and then he basically dared Adidas to drop him. So how, so there is a legal reason why. And Sean, do you want to explain what that clause is? Morality clauses. Yes, so we don't know for sure because the contract is private, but that is how you jettison somebody who is going to put your entire brand in jeopardy. And to be clear, there could have been any number of reasons why, but this is their best guess. And then it also kind of opens up a conversation to some very interesting stuff. So Yeah, so uh, morality clauses go way back. I think they go back to the 1920s. Um, the, the, first one, the first one to ever come into existence was from Universal Studios, and it was after this like comedian called Fatty Arbuckle. Um, <laughs> Just an all-timer name, by the way. Right? <laughs> he did some... I'll spare you the details, but he did some terrible shit, and, like, you know, some Me Too stuff. He murdered... He killed a woman. Um, That's like... Okay, some Me Too stuff? I, you really undersold it there. With, I like, did. I it was up. a Me Too moment. Yeah, he killed a chick, but... <laughs> It was like a rape and homicide. He was acquitted in his third trial. This is 1920s Hollywood, so, you know, murder kind of went, went along with it. Yeah, Buster Keaton actually ended up testifying in his favor in the third trial, which is, seems to be Ooh. what swayed the jury out of con convicting him or Ooh. being hung again. So, anyway. Um, yeah, so after that, Universal Studios was like, dude, we need to have something in their contracts where if they do something completely insane that's going to be in the media for like ever, we can get rid of them. So that Universal Studios starts putting morality clauses. Um, and that was in the 1920s. And in 1922, I believe, uh, Babe Ruth got the first morality clause of any uh, professional sports person. Yeah, if you don't know about Babe, he liked to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the, uh, the Major League Baseball Association at the time was like, um, or his his uh, his team was like, well, you're not really representing us in a way that is befitting of the Roaring Twenties, and we need to do something about this. But we don't want to put in your contract, no fucking, you know? So uh, they decided that the way to approach this was to say, well, without saying no sex, what can we say? How about we say 
1 a.m. bedtime and no drinking. <laughs> this is like their cure for it. The Yankees were like, how do we stop this womanizer? And like, let's make him go to bed early. Yeah, early bedtime. Of course, 1 a.m. I mean, who's ever done anything bad before 1 a.m.? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that was the most amusing part to me. And it, apparently, according to his daughter, I was reading like a little thing from her. Uh, apparently, even Babe Ruth was like, 1 a.m., huh? <laughs> and like kind of laughed it off, like whatever. So I don't, I don't, do you think that that clause properly captured what the Yankees were after? I mean, I think it sent a, it virtue signaled, I think it signaled a <laughs> virtue that the Yankees were trying to uphold, which was, of course, go to bed at one, be home by one, and don't drink. Uh, but, you know, like, is that going to stop Babe Ruth, probably the most famous baseball player at the time and for decades following, uh, from getting his willy wet? Probably not. <laughs> probably, almost <laughs> certainly not. I mean... Uh, although, on the other hand, afterward, like, it was kind of unnecessary because he, like, met the love of his, love of his life and seemed to settle, like, settle down. Maybe it was because of the morality clause that he met the love of his life and settled down. Brian, do you ever think of that? Yeah, the Yankees general manager was like, you really need to find a proper woman to set you straight. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was like, oh, yeah, shit. You're right, I do. I do. <laughs> Just needed a major, major baseball uh-huh. team to tell me that. So, yeah, anyway, that, that's, and, you know, obviously since, uh, like, sports stars, musicians, uh, they have these morality clauses, they still exist today, um, usually they're, like, overbroad, um, which means that, you know, if you go to court on it, the court's going to be, like, the kind of behavior that you're trying to curtail here is construed so broadly that we don't know what it is, so it's not enforceable. Um, and lately, since the Me Too movement came up, um, like these clauses are kind of sort of applicable to the rank and file now because, well, they're still going to be overbroad. But you know, if you become the if you be, if you become, become the main character on Twitter, uh, you don't want to be the main character. No, if every every day there's a main character on Twitter, and the goal is not to be the main character. Um, but if you become the main character on Twitter, like usually there's a contract that like in some circumstances, if you are rank and file, uh, you might have a clause in your contract that says like, Hey, if you absolutely humiliate us by doing some like awful racist stuff in public, <laughs> film it. If you yell at a man bird watching that you're going to call the cops on him and he's black and you're white. I mean, don't, don't do that. Yeah, don't, don't be a racist weirdo on the internet is kind of the long and the short of it. And you know, the, the, I was kind of looking up like, you know, do these get litigated or not? And more often than not, they end up in front of arbitration. And if what you did was so shocking that the arbitrator's going to be like, wow, that was some fucked up shit. Like, you're in a bad place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of an arbitration is, um, I mean, you are at the mercy of an arbitrator. So, you know. Yeah, you know, it kind of used to be like full on, like, yeah, arbitrators, arbitration is the way to go because it's private and all this other stuff. But really, it's just kind of a vehicle to uh, get short-circuited if, if somebody doesn't really understand your your complaints. Yeah. So. At any rate, uh, that's how morality clauses fit into that. If you, it's it's a it's a way for somebody to say you violated a contract through your behavior that they just find distasteful. So you know, Disney doesn't want their Imagineers to go off and spout about um, you know. Cocaine is the real Disney magic. Exactly. <laughs> you know? uh-huh, uh-huh. It'd be, but be pretty bad. And uh, Kanye West and Adidas, like, same kind of deal. 
I can say anti-Semitic shit and Adidas can't drop me. Well, guess what? They can. Hey, you know, there's also something called efficient breach, which could have been it too. It's where you breach contract because it just makes more sense for you to breach the contract than to continue with it. Um, maybe that was it. But uh, the morality clause story is much more interesting and um, it could well be it uh, how, with something that outrageous. How much money did uh, Kanye lose? Oh, didn't he go from a net worth of like one and a half bill to like 400 million? Yep, something he, like that. He lost about a billion dollars in personal wealth. I mean, but here's the thing. Does Thanos snap that a out billion? of existence? <laughs> if you lose a billion and you're still in the 400 million range, like functionally it makes no difference. Who gives a shit? You still have more money than God. I think you, you can, have functionally infinite money at 400 million and one and a half billion. There's no difference at all. I give that guy two years to bankruptcy. Ah, that would be really satisfying for me as a casual Kanye observer. I mean, he is also a dude that is trying to buy a social media platform. He's trying to buy a parlor. Oh, from, parlor, right, right. From right. Candace Owens' husband. And she's been walking around with him. And, like, honestly, yeah, this is another legal issue that's come up. And people are saying, like, you know, maybe Kanye needs a conservatorship like Britney Spears. Like I mean, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's he's absolutely gonna get fleeced, but I think that, like on the balance, though, I don't think those conservative ships are, generally speaking, the way to go unless you're like completely out of your gourd. And I don't think that Britney was out of her gourd at that point. She seems to be doing fine on her own now. I don't think that Kanye is to that point. And I mean, you have a right as a sane person or a quasi sane person to you know, burn through all your cash in whatever fashion you want. You can buy parlor, you can say evil shit and lose your Adidas contract. This is America, damn it. Yeah, for reference, Parler is a Twitter competitor that sprung up as like too many conservatives are getting banned from Twitter. Um, really it just became a place for like it's it's most <laughs> We'll start our own Twitter with Nazis and white supremacy. Yeah, and storming the US Capitol. Um, it was all of their information was logged. Uh, like in these snapshots, and the FBI used it to go through and arrest a whole bunch of people and use them as exhibits at trial against them for, you know, <laughs> breaking into the U.S. Capitol and trying to subvert democracy. Not great. Attacking police officers. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, you can't whoop the shit out of a Capitol Police cop and uh, not expect some heck to pay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know, back the blue and so on, according to them, so. <laughs> back the blue by beating them with flagpoles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, Kanye West is going to burn through his fortune. I give him two years. Seems generous. So, yeah. <laughs> I think before, I think you're a billionaire. I don't think you can do that very easily. But I think if you have 400 mil, I think that that is... You're right. My assertion of uh, that's functionally the same amount of money and it's still more money than God, that assumes you're not a complete bonehead with it. <laughs> yeah. I personally, with 400 million, would, would feel like I have one and a half billion and I'd also never run out of money and neither would my kids or their kids or their kids or their kids. Until some kid comes along and acts like Kanye, which down the line, probably, who knows? Yeah, one of your progeny <laughs> one day is going to be Kanye level dumb. Oh no. And blow it. Oh man, that's a depressing thought. Oh no. Well, a good thing I intend to stay poor. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep podcasting for you because our plan is to die at our desk instead of retire. Ags, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm yep. gonna die signing papers as an old man. 
Anyway, uh, we should plug Lynch LLP. Oh, yeah. So uh, we work for Lynch LLP. We are Brian and Sean Lynch. So we're associated, affiliated with it. Um, we do intellectual property law. I write patents. Brian does trademarks. Our younger brother, Connor, does litigation enforcement. Occasionally writes patents and does trademarks. Um, so any, any IP need you have, we can meet it. Yeah, bring us your trademarks, your copyright disputes, your... What do you do? Hungry patents? Your hungry, hungry patents. <laughs> <laughs> also, check out our first episode of this podcast. We go through a lot of the crazy patents that we've seen in the database. Some of them are really funny, like uh, spinning a pregnant woman in a circle to eject a baby during birth into a net. Yep, that's what we do. Yep, that's that's our job. Anyway, this has been Legalish. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brian. I'm Sean. So long.